Well, thanks, Thea. Good evening and welcome to Uni Church. My name is Rowan, one of the pastors here, and it's great to get into God's Word. Um, this Word that's written so long ago has incredible significance for us. So why don't we pray together and ask God that by His Spirit, He'd actually work on our hearts and change us to better understand His Word and to apply it to our lives. Let's pray together. Father, as we come here tonight, uh, you know what's been going on in our lives. You know the ups and downs. You know where our hearts are at. We ask that by your Spirit and through this Word that you have spoken, you'd show us your view of the world, you'd show us your view of our hearts, that you'd convict us, that you'd comfort us, that you'd point us to your Son and help us to live lives that bring you glory and honour. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever asked yourself that question, what would it be like to meet God? What would it be like to meet God? Growing up, uh, one of my heroes was a guitarist by the name of Tommy Emmanuel. Here's a picture of him now. He's probably one of the world's best guitarists. Phenomenal. When I first heard him play, I didn't believe it was just one guitarist. Because he was playing like the bass line and some chords and the melody all over at the same time. And I'm like, surely this is looping or this is added later on. So then I kind of found some um, videos where all of it's coming from him. And I'm like, what? This guy is crazy. Like, it's amazing. I was learning to play the guitar. And so I listened to his stuff. I watched as much stuff as I could. I learned. I tried to do what he did. But man, it was hard. And I was for a while thinking, ah, is this really, is he really that good? Until I went and saw him live. I still remember that day we went to this, um, this venue. It was pretty small, about 150 to 200 people for the world's best guitarist. It's pretty great. We were in like the second row at tables during this dinner, and it was a great night. But I, just, I got to see him up front and up close and personal. And to see this incredible skill, and I was like, man, I just want to meet him. So I lined up afterwards thinking, man, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Lined up in this queue. Finally, I got there and got this photo. There you go. Woo! I'm the guy on the right. I'm in the left. <laughs> yep, I had long hair when I was um, before. Uh, when I got engaged to Sarah, I had long hair. It went off very quickly after that moment. Um, you could just go back for one second. Uh, but this guy, this was the moment I'd been waiting for. I met my hero. Okay, that's enough. Whew, get rid of that guy. <laughs> Now, I was like, what was I going to say? And I took the photo, and then I'm like, I got out my guitar strap, and I got him to sign my guitar strap, which is pretty cool. And then I told him I played guitar. And he's kind of like, you just gave me a guitar strap. I figured that. You know, <laughs> no one just brings around a guitar strap and doesn't play the guitar. It was kind of this awkward moment. And I'm like, yeah. And I, and I reflected a bit later on about why did I tell him that, that I played guitar? That's because deep down, what I really wanted him to say was, will you play it for me? You know, to, to play the guitar for Tommy Emmanuel. And then maybe he'd see the talent that I'd kind of had and he'd say, Rowan, you should come on tour with me. This is amazing. <laughs> right? Can you imagine that touring around with the world's greatest guitarist? For many of us, I think we think meeting God on the day of the Lord will be like that. We'll rock up into God's heaven and be like, hey God, I'm here. He'll be like, awesome. This is so great. I'm so glad you finally come. Welcome to my team. You've done such a great job in life. And we think that we'll kind of come along and God will say, you know what? You've got some goods. This is great. Look at what you've done. For others of us, we think, you know what? I don't even need God. He's no good guitarist. I'm going to show him how good I am. And he's going to be like, man, teach me some skills. But not just in guitar, in life. 
For others of us, we kind of think, you know what, when I get there, I'm going to ask him some questions. I'm going to put him on the stand and say, why is life the way it is? What will it be like? What would it be like to meet God? When Amos 5 He lets Israel, God's people in the northern section of of Israel, um, know what this God is like. They get a picture of who He is because Amos is kind of adjusting their expectations. Amos 5.8 The one who made the Pallades and Orion, who turns darkness into dawn and darkens day into night, who summons the water of the sea and pours it out all over the surface of the earth. Yahweh, the Lord, is His name. If you think about people that you might meet, there is no one better than this. No one greater, no one more powerful. He, he kind of created the stars, Orion and Pallades, and he's the one who turns the lights on and off on the universe. He's the one who, who brings water in, in an agricultural society, controls prosperity and adversity on earth. There is no one like him. A couple of verses earlier in Amos 4.12, Amos had told Israel these words, prepare to meet your God. What do you think that was going to be like? In 2015, the comedian Stephen Fry, one of the world's most famous comedians, was asked what he would say if he came face to face with God in an interview. This is his reply on the screen. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? Now, there's a sense there where you might align with what he's saying. How is it that this God could be in control of the world and allow these things to go on? And we see all sorts of injustice. We prayed about them tonight. Murders nearby to us and all sorts of atrocities and injustice in the world. And you think, how could God allow that to go on? And there might be a part of you that says, when I meet God, I'm going to look down his eyes and say, how dare you? Problem is, Stephen Fry has not understood who this God is. He's not understood that he's in control of everything. And and he thinks in this interaction between him and God, he's going to come out on top. And in a sense, I think Israel is in a similar sort of position. Not overtly, maybe, but, but they're thinking, God, he'd be lucky to have us on our side. Look at us. We've had all these military victories. We've been going so well. We've been doing all these things. God's going to be like, great, welcome. You're so good. And so Amos inspired by God, wakes them from their sleep and slumber by giving them a message from the true and living God. Amos 5 verse 1. Listen to this message that I'm singing for you. A lament house of Israel. She has fallen. Virgin Israel will never rise again. She lies abandoned on her land with no one to raise her up. When you get the weight of this, what he's saying is it's like he's rocked up to us as a church and he said, You, Uni Church, will never live, you'll never meet again. You'll never come together as Uni Church. What I'm about to do will split you up and send you out because of how you have acted. He doesn't just say it to a church, he says it to a nation. Why? Well, have a listen. Have a listen to how bad it will be in verse 16. Therefore, the Lord, the God of armies, the Lord says, 
There will be wailing in all the public squares. They will cry out in anguish in all the streets. The farmer will be called on to mourn and professional mourners to wail. They'll be wailing in all the vineyards for I will pass among you. The Lord has spoken. Do you hear the finality of this? God has had enough of Israel rejecting him, not living his way. He's had enough. And he's coming. He's described as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. The first reference to the day of the Lord throughout um, history is probably in the prophet Joel, closely followed by this in Amos. They're very early prophets. And here's what Joel has to say about the day of the Lord. Joel 3, 14. For the day of the Lord is near. The Lord will roar from Zion and make His voice heard from Jerusalem. Heaven and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a refuge for His people, a stronghold for the Israelites. So perhaps when the Israelites hear that the the day of the Lord is coming, they think back to what has been said in Joel, and, and, and they're like, maybe this will be for my refuge. God's coming to help me. This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. They've been riding on their laurels, thinking, look at us, military success. We're strong. God will be so blessed to have us in his team. It's a mindset like I had when I met Tommy Emmanuel deep down, thinking maybe, maybe he'd look at me and go, yes, I need you on my team. Yes, this is great. I need your skill and talent. Israel are about to find out how lacking they actually are as God gives them the state of the nation. Point number two, the state of the nation. Listen to what's been going on. Woe to you, who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be for you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be like a man who flees from a lion only to have a bear confront him. And he goes home and rests his hand against the wall only to have a snake bite him. (laughs) Won't the day of the Lord be darkness rather than light, even gloom without any brightness in it? That is not what Israel were thinking. In fact, Amos uses this kind of comic genius, straight out of Looney Tunes. It's kind of like, they've, they've, imagine you're walking along and you find a lion. You're like, ah, lion. And you turn around and you're like, ah, there's a bear. And it's like, man, I'm going to get out of here. And you, and you finally get home and you're like, phew, that was great. And a snake bites you. Right? It's a shocker of a day. But don't be mistaken by the comic genius. Because the reality is it's curtains for God's people, Israel. For the northern ten tribes. Israel thought it will be all bright lights and glory the day that God comes. And now God is saying, no, it will not. The nation of Israel will never be again. It's too late. You've gone too far. 5 verse 2, virgin Israel will never rise again, just to be clear. She lies abandoned on her land with no one to rise her up. It makes you ask... How could this nation have got it so wrong? How could they have missed what's going on and thought everything was going fine and dandy? How could they have become so deluded? So deluded that they thought they could, they could help God out. They'd be a blessing to God. How do we become so deluded? Thinking we don't need God. Thinking God would be happy, be, be, be blessed to have us on His team. How deluded we've become when we... Think we can say to God, how dare you act this way? I look at the injustice of the world, yes, and there are so many, but how dare I come to the creator and sustainer of it all and go, you know what, I could do better. It's like me saying, I could outplay Tommy Emmanuel. I'm an idiot. Who could do that? The stupidity of thinking that we know better than God, that we don't need Him. 
We don't need his rules. We don't need his guidelines. That we actually can make better rules than God. That we're more moral than God. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Where you think, God, that is just wrong. I can't understand how you do that. And I get there are times it's hard to work out what's going on. But it's what comes next that's the problem. When we go, I can't trust you, God, because you're just, you're just not as moral as I am. He says, really? Stephen Fry thinks he'll put God on the stand, but the reality is it will be flipped the other way around. Listen to God's evaluation of Israel. I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies, your church, your gathering. Even if you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fattened cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I'll not listen to the music of your harp. It'd be like him coming along to church and saying, Uni Church, I, I hate your gatherings. When you gather and you sing those songs that are supposed to be for me, I hate it. I'm like, shut up, be quiet, get away from me. You're making me sick. You offer me your lives, but it's just fake. You go home and you do all these other things and, and then and you come and pretend that you're going well with me. I, I will not listen. Stop writing songs to me. Get out of my life. Look at 5 verse 25. House of Israel, was it sacrifices and grain offerings that you presented to me during the 40 years in the wilderness? He's reminding them as God people, God's people came out of Egypt that God had them in the wilderness and looked after them for those 40 years. He provided them manna, this bread, and water to drink, and their clothes didn't wear out. And he's saying to them, when I looked after you in the nation, did I do that because you gave me these amazing sacrifices? That you wrote me these amazing songs, and I was like, wow, these people really adore me, I'll look after them? No. You were kept alive because I kept you alive. That had nothing to do with you and what you've offered. But today you come along and you offer me these, these songs and these gatherings and, and this religiosity that you're putting before me. It's disgusting. Because they're going through the motions. They're not actually putting God at the center. They're looking like they're religious on the outside, but having hearts that are far from God. And so what God does as he's affronting this nation, as he's speaking to them at this point and to us, he shows the state of the human heart, and particularly theirs. Amos 5, verse 10. They hate the one who convicts the guilty at the city gate. And they despise the one who speaks with integrity. Just get this. The person who convicts the guilty, this nation hates. You should have let him off. Don't be like that. And, and the one who speaks integrity, who speaks the truth, they're like, shut up, he's making me look bad. Get lost, I want nothing to do with him. Verse 11, therefore, because you trample on the poor and exact a grain tax from him, this poor person who has no money, you trample him by saying, you got to give me more, I'm going to take the little that you have, I'm going to take that and fill up my life. Because you do that, you will never live in the house of cut stone you have built. You will never drink the wine from the lush vineyards you've planted, for I know your crimes are many and your sins innumerable. They oppress the righteous, take a bribe, deprive the poor of justice at the city gates. For these northern tribes, justice has gone. They don't care about living God's way. They just care about outward appearance and care about filling themselves 
They've built these amazing houses out of cut stone that we'd stand back and go, wow, look at that. Like it's going to be on the block, Israel, definitely. Everyone's going to be, man, that house is going to, it's going to, it's going to go up and up and up in value. This is a great house, good investment. God says, no, it will be taken from you. You will never live in that house. And by the way, there's vineyards he planted, the, that really great wine that won the top 100 of the, the ancient Near East list. Yeah, you ain't get to drink it. Another nation will come and take that. Because of the way you have treated the nations, because you have not looked at the way I've treated you and loved you and not responded with a family likeness. Self-promotion and preservation is all that they are about. They, they involve themselves in a, in a pantomime of religion. It looks good on the outside. They have their amazing grain offerings and they have their amazing gatherings. They don't care about the people that God has made. They don't care about one another within the nation of Israel. So you can pretend to love God. But if you aren't caring for those that are made in His image, if you're, if you're not seeking to treat them with dignity and care, then it's all a facade. You don't really love God. Amos shows that God knows where their hearts are at with Him. He sees in. Because at the root of what they are doing, they're pretending to worship God. But look at verse 26. How's this for a gotcha moment? But you've taken up Succoth, your king, and Kaiwan, your star god. Images you have made for yourselves. They're worshipping other gods. They're pretending to serve the true and living God who brought them out of Egypt. Yes, we do grain offerings to Yahweh, the true and living God. But on the side, they're making up imaginary gods, serving them literally figments of their imagination. And we sit here and we go, how stupid are they? Like, this is the God that saved them, that brought them out, that gave them their military success. How stupid would you be to make up gods and then serve them? But how often do you and I Look at the little dots on our screen in the bank balance. I go, yes, I've got to get that more. And so I sacrifice serving my God so I might get those numbers on the screen of my bank balance to go up a little more. Imaginary dots, digits. How often do we care about what others around us think and our image and getting a job that we think people will kind of go, yes, that's a great job and our, and our identity. And we come up with these imaginary idols and we serve them rather than the true and living God. Friends, we aren't too different, are we? God sees into their hearts and He sees into ours. Just this week, a number of our team went down to Christchurch with the, with the apprentices uh, for, for a training day. We have four training days each year, two in Auckland, two in Christchurch. We went down with all other apprentices from across the country uh, for some training and we had to stay overnight because Jetstar changed our flights. We love Jetstar, cheap flights extra nights overnight. And so we're approaching, it was, it was super early in the morning because Jetstar flies early to get you there on time. And um, it was, <laughs> the flight left like six o'clock or something. So we're at the airport and everyone's like, oh, here we are. Anyway, we line up in security and I'm like, this is cool. Security is going to go fine. Like, I know my bag will go through on those rollers and, and, and the little person behind the desk with a screen would be like, yep, it's fine. I, I, I knew I had, I put my bag inside my big bag so I could pull it out and then pull my, my laptop out and put it on the, on the tray next to me and my iPad next to that. And I separated them and I pushed them through. I'm like, yes, I know how to do this. I've done this security thing many times. I will pass through cleanly, come out the other side with the, with the rollers of doom saying, yes, it's all fine for Rowan. 
Anyway, so I went through, I knew there was nothing dodgy in my bag, went through, all fine. Uh, they come out on the rollers at the end. I grabbed my laptop bag my, and put that on my shoulder and my laptop in there. And then I grabbed my bag thinking, great, let's go. As I pulled my bag off the rollers, I realized I hadn't zipped up the top of the bag. And out of my bag flew everything. Now, I was fine with a jacket. The jacket on the floor in the airport with people walking past, that was fine. But it was all my clean underwear. <laughs> on the floor, as people walked past, going, oh, right, there we are. I'm like, no, why? Like, I knew the x-ray guy would see it, but he wouldn't see it in colour. He wouldn't go to see all the clothes that were in there. It would just be the other things. And this moment, I just felt so exposed to the world of the airport that they're looking into my life going, ah, they're my unmentionables. No. <coughs> Israel had the appearance of having it all together. They had military success. Religious observance. If you looked at them from the outside, they looked like a Samsonite suitcase. Unbreakable. Unpenetrable. Never to open in any of the wrong places. But through the prophet Amos, God's opened the suitcase of their lives to show their hearts and minds and actions. Thinking we can question God of His moral standards won't end well for us because God on the day of the Lord will open the hearts of your life and mine and show that we are far, far more immoral than the perfect, true and living God. On the day the Lord comes, He will show the reality of our thoughts and actions, the times we pretend to serve God. When we come to church and look like we've got it all together on the outside and someone says, how are you going? Like, yeah, going well. How's your Bible reading? Going great. I'm in the Word. I'm, I'm praying. Everything's lined up. And I'm praying for my friends. But deep down, you know you're not. But you put on the facade because you've got to look right before God because that's what makes God pleased. So you think. God, through the prophet Amos, says to Israel and to us, don't be so stupid. To think that God won't see into our hearts right now and on the day of judgment, the realities of our works, our actions, our deeds, our thoughts will be scattered before the world. And it'll be far more uncomfortable than having our underwear on the floor. Where are you going through the motions in your relationship with God? Where are you putting on an appearance of having it together? Where are you trying to hide in the suitcases of our hearts, thinking no one else will see it? Bitterness toward others, lack of love, lack of forgiveness towards others. You're like, oh, I'll come to church, but I'm not going to love them. I'm not going to talk to them. Oh, they're just annoying. They always talk about guitars. I hate that. Or perhaps they said that thing to you and you're like, oh, I don't want anything to do with them. I'm not going to treat them rightly. In preparing this passage this week, it's shone a light on some of the ways I think and my heart is naturally, particularly my Facebook marketplace etiquette. You know how Facebook marketplace is the quick and dirty of selling things? You can just get stuff and you can sell it and put it on there. Sometimes you come across people that have no idea of the value of what they're selling. And so they put it up and it's really low. I see that and I'm like, this is great. They've got no idea what the value is. So I offer half of the already, already low thing. And often they say yes. And I go, look at how great I am. I'm a great bargainer at this point. You know, God would be so proud of my bargaining abilities at this point. And this is amazing. But what I'm really doing is ripping people off. I'm not giving a fair price. I'm going, ha, you don't get it. I'm going to make so much from you. See you later. There's this part of me that finds joy in that. What is it for you? Where is your heart loving self-service and self-promotion? 
Perhaps for you, it's turning up to church thinking, yeah, I'll come along. I'll tick off the boxes. I love the cheese. Did you see the cheese tonight? There's cheese out there. Cheese is great. There was like chocolate-coated almondy things. Like, that's what I'm really here for. Or maybe it's not just the food. Maybe it's, I just want to hang out with a group of people. And what I want to do is, I'll come to church and I'll sing. And I'll kind of go through the motions at church. But I don't want God to penetrate my heart. I don't want to share with anyone else how I'm really going. I just want to come to church and have my thing. Make it a bit dark. Zip off. Great social occasion. Remember the day God will open the suitcases of our hearts. And we'll stand before Him. Where is your external religiosity masking your relationship with God? Where is your external religiosity masking a true and real relationship with the creator of the universe? Amos cries out to Israel at this point. Chapter 5, verse 24. But let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. He's saying, live out who you are. You are the people that have been shown incredible mercy, not getting what you do deserve. And yet here you are acting in an unjust way, living in unrighteousness, wrong living, rejecting God's way and putting yourselves at the center. Do not be like this. Let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. They were the words that Dr. Martin King Jr. quoted when he spoke to a nation who pretended that they were following the true and living God, but were treating black people very different from the way they were treating white people. He couldn't help but call out a nation who lived for their false religiosity, who said, yes, we're we're God followers, but we're going to treat these two groups of people differently based on the color of their skin. For he was someone who'd been captured by the true and living God in some way, shape or form. And so he spoke to a nation as God spoke to the nation of Israel through the apostle, through Amos, the prophet Amos. So God speaks to us today through the apostle Paul. Galatians 6 verse 9, he says to this church in Galatia, let us not get tired of doing good, you who've now trusted in God's Son, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially those who belong to the household of faith. He says to those who trust in Jesus, who's their king, who following God now, love those around you. Especially those who trust in Jesus. And then the nation around us. Friends, be assured, God hates religion. He hates this religiosity. When people parade around as if they're really serving Him, but are just going through the motions, without actually being changed into the likeness of His Son, without living out that family likeness. He hates it. And what he says to Israel at this point in Amos is that their end has come. Look at verse 27. So I'll send you into exile beyond Damascus. The Lord, the God of armies is his name. He has spoken. He's saying he'll send them away. They'll no longer be in this land. It's too late. And this is one thing that scares me so much. There comes a point with God When God says enough is enough. I'm not going to offer you my forgiveness anymore. I'm not going to hold that out. You've rebelled for so long that it's over. For so many of us, we like Israel can presume upon God's generosity. Thinking that his patience will last forever. But the story of the nation of Israel shows that it will not 
30 years after this was spoken, Israel were taken out into exile, conquered by the Assyrians, never to be a nation again. Friends, hear the warning tonight. Do not think we will get away with it. But also notice a sliver of hope. A sliver of hope in this passage for those that hear the warning. Look at verse 4 of Amos 5. For the Lord says to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. While the nation is done with, there's time for a remnant, for those within the nation who seek the Lord to experience life. The whole nation in and of itself is done with. But for those that hear this warning that Amos speaks, they can come and find life. What a promise. You know, 800 years after Amos wrote these words, in the book of Acts, a prominent leader in Jerusalem by the name of James stood up and spoke of the work of his brother called Jesus, who he was convinced was God. He said this, Acts chapter 15, verse 13. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the nations, the Gentiles, a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this, as it is written, After these things I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again, so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. James was speaking of the reality of what his half-brother Jesus had done. That in his death and resurrection, he provided a way for those who've got suitcases of our hearts and minds and actions that are far from God, to have them forgiven, dealt with. As Jesus died on that cross, He took the penalty that you and I deserve so that we could have life, so that we could come to Him and live. And here, after Jesus' death and resurrection, James, Jesus' own brother, says, Seek Him now and live. Go to the nations, all those who from the world around, not just the Jews, but to the nations around and come and trust Jesus and you will have life. So the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Today, 2,000 years after those words were spoken, we sit here in a lecture theater, having God x-rayed our hearts to see that we are far from Him. We don't live His way. None of us treat God as we ought. But He also speaks to every single one of us in this room saying, Seek me and live. Hear the warning. Come and trust my son. Come and put your life in Jesus' hands who's died in my place. And seek life. Don't just clean up your lives to try and be moral people. No, come and recognize that Jesus has been the perfect Israelite. Who was always just. Who was always righteous in his actions. Who always obeyed his father. Who always lived for the good of others. He didn't seek equality with God as something to be sought after. But he made himself nothing so that we could be saved. Come to Jesus and recognize that in him we can be called God's children. We can be forgiven. We can have this great privilege of being free to now try and live out the family like us, even though we stumble, even though we fall. The writer of Hebrews shows us that Jesus is the just one whom we can trust in. Look at Hebrews 1.8. About Jesus, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. In Jesus is this sliver of hope where justice and mercy meet. He's the one who always acts rightly. And so one of his closest friends said in 1 John 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that has got to be the best news ever, hasn't it? If we confess our sins, that we've turned our backs on God, that our hearts are a suitcase full of rebellion and injustice. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As Jesus died on that cross, He took the penalty that we deserve. It has been paid for. Jesus' words are, it is finished. That means we can face God now if we trust in Jesus as his children, forgiven. Cleansed from what we have done wrong, from our rebellion and sinfulness. Cleansed from our propensity to keep placing ourselves at the center of our lives and the world. Forgiven for our outward religiosity. So how then do we live as God's people now trusting in Jesus and not make the same mistake Israel made? How do we not, you know, Sit on our laurels of going, look, Jesus has died for us. Got to be happy to have us on our team, on his team. We look to what Jesus has done. The best remedy for dealing with our wayward hearts and minds is being captivated by Jesus. That God the Son would do this for me. God the Son would lay down his life. My sins were so large and so many that it took the creator of the universe to die in my place so I could be forgiven. As I look to the cross, as I look to what Jesus has done, I'm amazed. He would do this for me. And that shifts our hearts and minds to go, wow, I want to respond to him and live his way. I want to come to him and ask him for forgiveness. I want to, I want to confess my sins to others and Not try and hide it and pretend that I've got life sorted, but actually share this reality that I'm a broken sinner and walk alongside others as I seek to serve my King, not because I'm trying to maintain or get a place in heaven, but because Jesus has already secured it for me and I'm living out the family likeness. Today, let me ask you, where is God convicting you of rebelling against Him? It may be an attitude of putting God on trial, pretending you're more moral than He is. Perhaps for you, it's some form of false religiosity, putting on this outward appearance that I've got life sorted, that I've got my relationship with God sorted, when you know deep down it is not at all. There is sin and rebellion, whether it be injustice, immorality, self-centeredness, idolatry that we're going to be called out for on the day of judgment. And we're hiding that rather than confessing. Is it maybe your love for others and you're that person that always loves the world around, you want to care for people, you're so empathetic, but you don't actually love God and so you're not living for Him. Or perhaps it's the other way around, you look like you're loving God, but you're failing to love the world around you. Can I encourage all of you today as I apply the Word of God to my own heart?
to bring those realities to Jesus. Don't try and hold on going, oh, I'll just keep, keep making it look like it's okay. Actually, bring them to him. Confess your sin to him. For he is faithful and just and forgives those who repent. Confess your sins to one another. Share how you're going. No one's going to be like, whoa, you're a sinner. I'm not. Get away from me. Well, if they do, they're completely blind because I'm a sinner too. Come to Jesus and recognize the bliss of knowing that God the Son has died in your place, that He's forgiven you, that He is faithful and just on that final day when we meet Him. If we trust in Jesus, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because you trusted in my Son. Can I encourage you today? Run to Jesus. Put your life in His hands before it's too late. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come before you tonight, we recognize that we can only come and speak to you now because of what Jesus has done. That we have no right to demand an audience with you, that you, you have no need to listen to us, but you do because you've shown your love in your Son. We pray that tonight, that by your Spirit and through your Word, you'd continue to convict us of where we put on a false front, of where we act in ways of injustice, of where we put ourselves at the center of our lives and we worship imaginary gods rather than you, the true and living God, please show us. Convict us of our sin so that it leads us to bow our knees to your Son who's forgiven us. Help us to be people that are so captured by Jesus that out of great joy and thankfulness, we live our lives for your glory. We say no to selfishness. We say no to rebellion. We say no to sin. Help us to be people that will confess that to one another. Help us to be a church that listens to one another and cares and encouragingly points one another to your son. Help us to go out from here tonight as people who've been so captured by Jesus that we live for you, not in order to gain any sort of merit, but because of the amazing love you've lavished on us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.